Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. Happy Thanksgiving week, everybody. It is a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, if you're traveling, I hope, I hope it's a safe travel. If you're staying in town, then I hope you're enjoying some really good time with family. But what a better time than if you are on the road or in between houses or you need some time to recover from all that turkey to listen to a podcast. So I'm bringing you a squared away conversation today. I've asked Stacy Murray, advisor and, and our in-house CPA expert, to sit down with me. And we're going to look back over this year. We're going to look at a couple of tax moves that have been made. We're going to talk about some um, strategies that we implement, specifically tax loss harvesting, what that means, how we've used it, what the advantage is. And we're going to look at also a couple items to consider in 2023 as uh, the numbers have changed with inflation. There's been an increase, a, a positive increase on some of the moves and limits and exclusions that uh, investors can make. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you all have a incredible week. As always, thank you for the time that you give us. And if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. I hope you enjoy. Stacy. thank you for joining me today again as we head into this Thanksgiving week. I thought it'd be a good time for a squared away episode. We're going to take a look back. Another year's not completely over. But I wanted to take a look back at a couple topics. I thought you'd be a great fit here because we're going to tie a lot of this into just the tax conversation, year-end planning, and some of the stuff we've done over the years and some of the things our investment team has done during a market like this. So uh, again, thank you for joining me. I, I thought we'd start with tax loss harvesting. We've talked about it at times. It's get It gets brought up in our conversations around the office. We've even brought it up on other Squared Away episodes here on Charting the Course. Let's take a high-level view, remind listeners what exactly it is, because it sounds a little backwards because we're looking for losses. But what is tax loss harvesting? How have you seen it benefit our clients and our investors in a market like this, really just on based on the way we manage money? Thank you, Tyler, for having me and excited for Thanksgiving with all of our family to oh, yeah. be sharing with. Oh, yeah. yeah, lots of turkey. But yeah, thanks for having me on here. Want to talk about tax loss harvesting. Okay. Again, the way that we manage money with ETFs versus individual stocks. This is a silver lining for our clients. That's a good point. Good way to put it. Any advisors that are able to go in and harvest these losses are really adding dollars, tax efficiency strategies to our clients. Okay. But what's it mean, right? right? We've heard so much talk about it. Tax loss harvesting, the concept behind it is if you think about individual stocks and you purchase, let's say, let's talk about oil and gas, right? Okay. We'll okay. talk about Devon, right, in right. particular. So you have Devon stock and you own it. The way that the IRS has written the rules is if that stock is sold and then you try to rebuy it in 30 days, you are not able to kind of realize that loss. It's called right. a wash sell. Okay. So if the stock was trading, let's just keep it $10,000, goes down to eight and you want to sell it, that's a $2,000 loss. But if you go in and buy it within a 30-day window, you have unfortunately oh, disallowed gosh. that $2,000 okay. loss. Okay. okay. If that's that's yep. kind of what it is. So that's yep. an individual stock. Yep. If you buy it back on 31 days, great. Well, the problem with that is you're getting yourself out of the market. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying like, okay, I'm going to stay out of the Devon stock for 30 days. Right. And so we like with ETFs, the silver lining and using ETFs, if we remember what ETFs are, 
is you can go in and buy different sectors. So you could go in and buy the energy sector, right. which is going to have Devon in it. It's going to have all of your oil and gas companies. Which in is there. the way, sorry to interrupt you, which is the way we kind of allocate our, our equity model is with these ETFs by sector. And we do it a little differently on the international side, but in the in the large cap space, we use we use sector ETFs. And so to your point, continue, we we can sell one energy sector ETF and turn around and buy another one. And are we subject to that 30 day? You are not. Right. Which okay. is amazing. There's similar characteristics. I won't get into it all. Sure. That's where definitely, you know, you think you can do this on your own. Make sure you're using somebody else to help with tax loss harvesting. Cause there's different little characteristics where we say that ETF. Maybe we sell the Vanguard Energy ETF and we go buy the Spider Energy ETF. It's just different enough to allow us to say, okay, that is realized loss by the IRS and it's not considered a wash sell. And the one thing I like to drive home is when we do that, to your point earlier about being out of the market, when we do that tax loss harvesting trade and we go from a Spider ETF in your example to a Vanguard ETF, we're out of the market for a millisecond. Correct. Right? right. Because we're we're making that trade. We're doing that trade immediately. So you're never out of the market. So to your point, to summarize, one, you're capturing this loss, and we'll get into why that's important, but you're capturing the loss. And then two, you're never out of the market. Fabulous. Yep. That's okay. correct. Okay. And I think that that, and that's us just talking about energy, right? Sure. And so if you really think about what 2022 has done, it's been all of the sectors. And so how would somebody that's holding these individual positions want to get out of the market for 30 days? And say, hey, what if they got out in March when it started to decline? And then they had to wait until April, right? There was a time that they were out of the market. Yeah. And what if the market shot back up, which is what we saw if we go back to COVID. You know, yeah. I hate to go back to the COVID year. And, sure. But if we go back to March of uh, 2020, the market rebounded so quickly that if you were trying to harvest these losses in individual stocks, you missed an opportunity to get back in in the timing. And so I think that's a good example. This year has been another really good opportunity to take advantage of tax loss harvesting. but. 2020 really showed us the true benefit of doing so because you tax loss harvested all during that really, really sharp decline, captured the losses like we just established. But then the real benefit is when the market recovers, we can use those losses and we can offset against the gains that we did end up seeing in 2020, correct? Correct. So let's talk about what tax loss servicing, like how it actually works and how you can think about it. And it just an easy, simple calculation. That would help me a lot. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. <laughs> so let's let's think about it. So if you've got a million dollars that was put into the market, let's say January 1st of this year. Okay. In January 1st of this year, a million dollars. So that's your co cost basis. That's how the IRS would refer to it. Right. Early January, market went up. Great. Here comes February. Market starts to fall, dip. Let's say... Then in the middle of this year, in the summer, that account has actually dropped in February to 800000 Okay. So it has now dropped $200,000. What we are doing behind the scenes or anybody else that's doing tax loss harvesting with ETFs is they say, let's go in and realize that loss on paper, on paper, right. because that million dollars is still, you still have the same, you know, number of units, that type of thing, but let's go in and realize it on paper. Let's harvest it. When, so it's like you're almost banking a loss. We're going right. to set it on the bench, but yep. we've got 200000 that we've captured. Right. And by selling out of those energy ETFs, like we talked about, selling out of technology ETFs, healthcare, all of those different sectors, we've sold out of a Vanguard energy ETF and we've gone and bought an Aspider energy ETF. We kept the client in the market. So now they have a, a basis of 800000 But when that rebound occurs, 
you will have a gain in that account. But the point is, is you've been able to capture $200,000 of losses. And let's say the, let's say from that point in this example, and again, we're not explicitly referencing this year because it didn't necessarily happen this way. But in that example, let's say by the end of that year, this scenario, you now have a $40,000 or no, we'll say a $400,000 gain. You've got this $200,000 loss over here. And you're the point of that being you can now offset half of the gain with this $200,000 loss that you booked early on in the year. So now you've decreased your capital gain exposure, but you've ridden up, you've taken advantage of the market recovery. Correct. Okay. And we're doing it through, I want to be very clear. It's not that you do it one time and that's it. All right. We are constantly, we are looking for market opportunities. We are tax loss harvesting throughout the end of the year. You'll find a lot of advisors that are like, oh, it's the end of the year. Oh, we need to create some losses. Let's go ahead and do tax loss harvesting today. It's too late. I mean, honestly, if you're doing, if you're looking at doing it right now, you've lost opportunity for your sure. clients because there was a rebound in October and November that we've seen. Yeah. With our strategy, the, the investment team's doing this on a, on a daily basis uh, yep. when they're constantly balancing. So there, yeah, there's some markets like we've seen in 20 or like we've seen in 22, where we have more opportunity to create that value. But to your point, it's happening year in and year out on our side of the table. So to summarize, cause I know we've talked a lot of numbers, thrown a lot of things yeah, out there. It's a, t- it's a, Intricate process. But tax loss harvesting is the silver lining when the market gives us an opportunity, a decline, we take advantage of it. And all you need to know for tax loss harvesting is it's a way and a strategy for tax deference, not tax avoidance, tax deference. And you are harvesting losses, capital losses that you can use to offset capital gains. And if you are not able to utilize those capital losses all in one year, great, carry them forward. Right. Into the future, you can always, in your tax accountant will know this, you can uh, take up to 3000 and that 3000 of capital losses actually offsets ordinary income. That's a unique rule, but think of that. Um, but the big thing that you're using capital losses for is to offset those future capital gains. And if you don't have real estate activity, it may be, you know, five years down the road Something else. that you're going to now start drawing from your portfolio. Let's say you're 55, you're going to retire at 60 and you're going to start drawing from your taxable account. Those first three to four years, when you start drawing from that taxable account, you can use those capital losses that were harvested right. and rolled forward. Okay. And those first couple of years, you may not be paying any taxes on the capital gains. So it's a great tool, great strategy. Everybody should be doing it. It is really helpful to do when you have ETFs. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That was yeah. really, really helpful. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and again, in a market like this, and in, in year in and year out, it's going to depend on an investor's position. But let's talk a little bit about both. Roth contributions, in our opinion, and and the benefit there, but also Roth conversions and when they can make sense. Do I have to convert all of my Roth or part of my Roth? You might explain even what a Roth conversion is. I think just hit high level on that a little bit, but I wanted to get your take here in, in this Roth arena, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. It can get kind of confusing, but Roths, let's start as easy as when you start making contributions to a qualified retirement plan. Tyler, you can either have pre-tax or after-tax contributions. Right. And a lot of 401ks now allow both. Absolutely. Okay. Which is amazing, yes. especially for high earners. Super. It's so it, it's amazing to, tool to use through your employer. But the pre-tax, it's as easy as you have not paid Uncle Sam any taxes on those dollars. Right. So if you've earned a dollar, you can immediately put that dollar aside. And then when you go to retire, the IRS says, okay, now it's time to pay Uncle Sam. So right. when you start pulling money from a traditional pre-tax qualified account, you are going to owe taxes in the future on both the dollar that you put in and the earnings. Right. 
That is such a difference in what is a Roth. A Roth is after-tax dollars. So you have paid the IRS today in 2022. You have paid them taxes on that dollar. So you take a dollar and let's say taxes are 25 cents. You're really then able to save that 75 cents yeah, is the, the thought the, process the Roth behind contribution it. goes in. It's paycheck. You see paycheck, gross number. You see the FICA taxes come out. And then you see your Roth contribution. In your early example, gross paycheck hits. Then at the before taxes, you see your traditional 401k contribution hit. So, yes, that's a great way to kind of think about it pre and after. Yeah. The benefit with after taxes is the government says, okay, you've already paid me taxes. So this 75 cents that you now have put in to start compounding and making earnings and interest, when you go to retire, you never have to pay Uncle Sam another penny as the law is currently written. I want to be very careful with that disclaimer. Subject to change. Correct. And that is, I mean, it's a very hot topic, you know, with elections and Mm -hmm. where we were just, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Ross are something that everybody kind of thinks that the wealthy has taken advantage of. And so Ross are always a very hot, hot topic. So as long as there's the advantage of a Roth, you should definitely be looking at doing contributions to a Roth. And at this point, those Roth earnings, to your first example, your Roth earnings are also not subject to correct taxes. Yep. So that's 75 cents, everything that's, let's say it grows now, that 75 cents grows to $5 that you will never be taxed on that. So if you really throw it into actual retirement amounts, let's say you've saved 300,000 in your qualified bucket. If that 300,000 it's pre-tax and then it's going to earn, let's say let's it gets up to 500 grand, when you start pulling out that 500 grand, you're going to be taxed on that entire 500 grand, which is ordinary income at the in the year in which you are pulling the money out. Correct. Right? Yes, that's okay. that's okay. that's talking about yeah, that's W2 ordinary income. But let's say so you had in the other scenario, you had the 300,000, it grows to 500,000. In this scenario, you still made 300,000. You wanted to like contribute it, but you had taxes. So let's say you only put 250,000 in it. So that 250,000 that you've put into it, it only grows to, let's say 450,000, but you're never paying taxes when right. you pull it out. Right. That is the amazing concept is you're not going to pay taxes on that growth of that $200,000. That is never going to be taxed. And that is the amazing tool if you can think about it. And clients struggle so hard to say, gosh, I don't want to pay taxes today. But you're thinking about it as you're locking in taxes today. Mm -hmm. You're locking in a tax liability today to get the benefit over the long run. And to your point earlier, we are advising clients. We are helping investors based on the information we have today, which is 2022 numbers. We have 2023 numbers now. So again, to your point, it's important to constantly be revisiting this. But at this time, the way it's set up, it can make a lot of sense. I think the one thing I help clients try to understand is, where that trade-off is. And I think what we've talked about in the office a lot is it's based on your income tax bracket and and when it can make sense to do a traditional 401k or do a Roth 401k, or we can get into even backdoor Roth contributions and we can get into that a little bit. But I think that's when you consult your tax advisor, you figure out where you are, what your picture looks like and decide from there exactly. what makes sense. And that's something you should be definitely looking at as you move into 2023. Yeah. Maybe you've always been doing a pre-tax and you want to move into a Roth. So those are the basic concepts of pre-tax and Roth right. contributions. What's all this talk about Roth conversions? I yep. mean, I swear if you Google it right now, it's 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 everywhere. Everybody's yep. putting articles. What does it mean? So the thought process is the market is down. So more than likely your qualified account that is pre-tax, if you have pre-tax contributions in there, market's down. Right. So the thought process is with the market being down, why not go ahead and do a Roth conversion? 
Roth conversion is saying, if I convert 100,000 today, that's what's in my qualified account. It doesn't think about what you've contributed, all of that. There's no cost basis, anything like that. It's what's the account value on the day that the Roth conversion happens. So if I say I had put 150,000 into a pre-tax qualified account, markets down now to 100 grand, I go and say, I'm going to recognize 100 grand uh, through a Roth conversion. Ordinary income that goes that goes on my 1040. I got to make sure that I've told my tax preparer, my CPA that, hey, I've done a Roth conversion. I have moved one hundred thousand dollars over into what you flip the characteristic was what they refer to it as is to a Roth feature now. So you flip the characteristics of that hundred thousand additional pre-tax to a Roth after tax. You get the rebound. Here comes the rebound of the market because it's not a matter of if the market's going to rebound. It's a matter of when it's going to rebound. And so when that market rebounds, this is like the aha moment of you see, okay, now the market, my account's gone back up to 150,000. You took that $50,000 loss that was kind of going on and you went ahead and converted it. So you've got that rebound effect and you're never going to pay taxes on that rebound effect. Right. Because that's an earning. Now it's been recharacterized. Yep. It's been recharacterized. One thing I like to differentiate on the Roth conversion compared against a contribution to any IRA or Roth IRA. A conversion needs to take place during the taxable year. A contribution to a, a traditional IRA or Roth IRA can take place up to your filing date, correct? Correct. Am I wording that right? April okay. 15th. Yep. Okay. You have up until April 15th to make those contributions. And when you hear those contributions, those are that $6,000 number that yep. gets thrown around. And that's where you can just, even if you are contributing to your employer's 401k plan or whatever qualified plan they have, you can more than likely contribute an additional 6000 outside, you need to work with your CPA to figure out what tax buckets you're in, like what's your taxable income. You're going to have different phase out measures. So there's definitely a disclaimer there, but you need to look in some, and that's where, so what we kind of talked about a minute ago was a backdoor or was a Roth conversion. Sorry. It was a Roth conversion. There's a thing called like the backdoor for a Roth IRA. Which is a backdoor contribution. And so what you're doing there is you're saying if you make over a certain amount of money, the IRS says you're not allowed to put anything into a Roth IRA. You can't put that 6,000 in there because you're phased out. And so if that's the case, you look at doing a non-deductible traditional IRA of six grand. You do that on day one, let it settle. Day two, you you don't invest it. Day two, you immediately flip it over into a Roth. And so that's what's referred to as like a backdoor Roth contribution. You have to be so careful because there's formulas. It's very complicated. I don't want everybody to think they can do it because if I, let's say I previously worked at KBMG, which I did. So I previously worked at KBMG. I have an IRA account that has pre-tax dollars in it. I have to be very careful because the government says, wait a minute, you can't just do this 6,000 now on the outside right. and move it over. You're going to have to do, it's a formula base. And they say, since I have pre-tax dollars, they're going to tax me on that six. So you right. got to be very careful. The backdoor Roth only works for certain situations the best when you don't have outside traditional IRAs sitting there. Accounts sitting there. Mm-hmm. You, you've got you've got accounts, whether old or active, but they're 401k accounts. They're not considered what we would characterize as a rollover IRA account sitting there. That's right? a great way of saying okay. it. Yep. Okay. But the Roth conversions, you know, a lot of people think too, when my scenario is all or nothing. And I want to be very careful on that, that a Roth conversion does not need to be all or nothing. Good point. I'm, Good point. I'm working with CPAs. What, like We are counting, right? Where we're down to 40 days till year end. It, you're trying to get a hold of CPAs right now. They're busy. They should be busy. But you should definitely be um, nagging your CPAs, nagging your financial advisor, saying, what are we doing? We've got 40 days till year end. How are we going to help with tax efficiencies? 
And they should be able to run you tax projections of where you're going to be, get your taxable income estimate. And Roth conversions are great, not only in years when it, the market's not down. This year, it's, it's even better because the market right. is down. And you're going to go in and look at your brackets and say, okay, maybe you're in the 24% bracket. And the next bracket up is 32%. So there's a big jump on that. And you may say, I can do 50,000 in Roth conversion working with your C- realizing CPA. Some, realizing some income that's going to hit my W-2. Yep. But I'm going to stay in that 24% bracket. I'm not going to jump me up to the 32. Right. And what is that amount? And it, right. may, it may be an odd number. It may be like 30,000 or 25. Who mm. knows? But you do that amount and then you see where next year is. Yep. We worked with a lot of business owners during 2020 with not only the market presenting us an opportunity in that time frame in March and April, but it was still a good opportunity at the end of the year because a lot of your business owners' taxable income was down. So they were in some of the lowest tax brackets that they were going to be in, in sure, that they've been in sure. in a long time. And so if you are right. with your business, wherever you're at, if you're in between jobs, you know that you have a lower tax bracket that you've been in in the past. Be working with your CPA to figure out does a partial Roth conversion make sense? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Okay. One other thing that we want to talk about for 2022 is relating to cash balance plans. And we've been seeing our oh, clients yes. work with cash balance plans and what does that mean and what should you know? But a lot of business owners are looking at the end of the year, they've had great years, great numbers, great returns, and they're thinking, how do I stop paying so much in taxes? And so you've seen it, Tyler. You're the one that has been seeing it a lot with what you do on your side. Right. But just know what, just all I'm asking you to say is talk to your accountant and say, does a cash balance plan make sense for me? And it's an on top of what you do already for your qualified plan for your participants, either from a 401k or a deferred comp, any of those types of things. It's just an additional thing that you can do. And it may be instead of paying the government a hundred thousand in taxes, you're going to take that hundred thousand and put it away into a qualified bucket. And the key there is You've got to make sure you're maximizing the, if you have a 401k plan set up or some type of, some type of qualified plan for your employees or your company, that you're maximizing the current plan you have in place because then it creates a lot of opportunity on the cash balance side. So yeah, I, I think, I mean, cash balance plans are a whole nother animal, but I'm glad you brought them up. I think that is something to ask your tax planner about, your CPA about. And the nice thing on cash balance plans is we're talking about the 40 day kind of window that we have left. You can start the discussion with your CPA, kind of trying to figure out where you want to go with it, but you still have time. So that contribution, your CPA kind of comes up with a number that could be 150,000 years in there. I don't have 150,000 cash right now. You have up until the following year, I think it's 915 to make that contribution for cash balance. And earmark it, right. So as, which is a great example of now as we're kind of moving into 2023, I think, which is your next topic you wanted to hit on. Perfect, thank you. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And so that's a thing as we kind of transition in you have more time to put maybe, I like to refer to it as an on top of what your qualified plan already is yeah. and you're offering, but look at that cash balance feature. Okay. Carrying on the 2023 conversation, just as we as we do look ahead a little bit, because I think it is helpful. I think we, you and I were talking off air. I think there's a couple numbers that are beneficial for certain clients, certain investors, probably honestly any, just, just any average investor even couple limits or figures that are were of interest to you as you looked at the changes that we're going to be seeing in 2023. And a lot of this, to back up, a lot of this has to do with just the inflation and the adjustments that the IRS has done and how helpful that's been. You know, if one for me, uh, the annual exclusion for gifts, which is a taxpayer can give an individual 
a gift up to what is now going to become 17,000 in 2023. That's up from 16,000 in 2022. So for those individuals that, that like to use that gift exclusion to, to get funds out of their estate, the other one was that I believe that lifetime ex, uh, yes. exclusion station yes, that you mentioned. Absolutely. That, that's one that's been, I mean, it was amazing what came out on that. But in 2022, the lifetime estate exemption amount was $12,060,000 per person. So a married couple, you double that. But that actually increased to twelve million nine hundred and twenty thousand, so an increase of almost nine hundred thousand. So for a married couple, they can now in their lifetime give an additional one point eight million, you know, to children, to whoever, and not have that be subject to the estate taxes, which the estate taxes are each individual has an increase, correct? Correct. Okay. Nine about so nine hundred thousand was the increase. Nine hundred, right? Okay. So that's where okay. almost two million now. Wow. So every year, and this is all going to sunset in December of thir- uh, December 31st of 2025. 2025 currently, so right. big thing there is if you have a taxable estate, get in front of somebody that knows what they're doing. Start thinking early on how you start gifting or kind of start setting that stuff aside over the amount of going to be your um, a taxable estate. But the thing to think about is it'll sunset back to kind of, it's going to be inflated numbers, but we're ballparking around 6 million. Right. So that's a huge, it's going to be almost cut in half when right. it sunsets in 2025. Yeah. So if you're in, you and your spouse are in that 12 million to 26 million or even 10 million in theory, because it's only going to continue, your investments hopefully will continue to go up. Sure. You need to be looking at what do we need to do or do we need to start doing some gifting type transitions yep. to take advantage yep. of those higher thresholds. And that was all th- um, passed through the uh, tax act. Right. Um, another one that I found that was great um, for individuals as well is just the 401k. So yeah. 401k went up almost $2,000 per individual. Per participant, right. Yeah. Right. And that, and then what the employer can give also went up. So just everything, because we all know it, inflation, we're seeing it, you know, and, and oh my gosh, the um, grocery store had a lettuce the other day. It was three ninety nine. Milk. I mean, yeah, everywhere with inflation. And that's how those numbers are increased the way that the IRS has said it. So just take a look. And I just don't want anybody to get blindsided and get to next December of 2023 and be like, oh my gosh, I don't have an extra 2000 my paycheck to save right now. Right. In January, go in and make those percentage increases. Right. So you're also getting in the market over the you know 12 months versus all in December right. or not having the money to do it. So make sure that you're increasing those, max out those qualified buckets, you're going to see it everywhere. Um, IRAs increased, HSAs increased, everything increased along those lines. So make sure you're looking at that. The other thing, so that's kind of what individuals can do. I think something that I'm working with some clients on right now is um, that's been great is looking at the qualified plans that they've put in as business owners. Mm -hmm. A lot of business owners early on as they start their business are going to put in maybe like a SEP or a simple. SEP or a simple plan, right? Yeah. Everybody's really scared at first to say, oh my gosh, I want to implement a 401k and I've only got five employees and all these administrative costs and they just get kind of terrified of it. Mm -hmm. So I see a lot of small business owners start with a SEP or a simple plan and then get 10 years down the road and they've never thought, about do we implement now a 401k and kind of stop doing our SEP and simple. And it's huge. I mean, huge benefits to doing that when you get to a certain size. Definitely be working with your CPA on that. But benefits are you're able to put more money away and not subject it to as much self-employment tax and those other types of taxes. So 
there's definitely positives to mm-hmm. it. Reach out to me. Happy to share those. It's case by case basis. But just don't get stuck in the fact that like, oh, I've already got a qualified plan. I'm good. Right. No, no, no. There's different options. There's yeah. different qualified plans. So let's think through it. And a lot of times that increase in cost, because simple, simple and steps are very cost effective to implement. But a lot of times that increase in cost is a benefit because that's a, that's a business expense to these companies. And so again, I, you yeah. and I talk about this all the time, but there, there's a case to be made for just reviewing what's in place, making sure that it's the most beneficial to both you as if it's the business owner or to your employees. But yeah, no, I think it's a great point to remind our business owners. So again, I just wanted this to kind of be a nice look back on 2022, hit some high points as we finish out the year here in like what you said, 40 days and then going to 2023. So anything else you wanted to add, Stacey? No, I really just hope we didn't put you to sleep. If you're listening (laughs) to this on Thursday after Thanksgiving and you've just finished turkey up, hopefully we didn't put you to sleep. I think there is a lot that can be done. Taxes should not be scary to anybody. Tax planning is critical. Tax planning should occur throughout the entire year, not the last 40 days. But if you haven't done it and you're in the last 40 days, there's still things that you could be doing. Take advantage of them. Big thing is, I think to just kind of summarize what we talked about, all you need to know on tax loss harvesting is hopefully your advisor's been doing it. If they haven't, ask them why not, push them on it. But that is critical for you to be doing right now. So tax loss harvesting, don't be scared of Roth conversions and what they are, but talk to your tax uh, consultant, talk to your advisor, see what amount, remember- See if it may work, right, yeah. And see if Roth conversions make sense this year, maybe in 2023. And remember, it does not have to be the full amount. Partial is fine. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And then the other thing is to keep thinking through just these gifting and these other increases into 2023, the new tax tables and how that could impact you and you could take advantage of it. And and what I I think I'll end with is we've talked about a lot today, but we've hit on a spectrum from, you know, I think some people think you have to just have all this wealth to do a lot of what we've talked about. Absolutely not. We have people doing Roth conversions, backdoor Roth based on income levels that don't have a ton of wealth to manage. We have yeah, sure. The gifting and the ecstatic exclusion is for those that have built up wealth. But I appreciate you doing a good job of tying this in for kind of investors of, of any level. So yeah. I, I hope, I hope, I know people will enjoy that side of it. And I think that, you know, one of the things Christmas is coming up, what do we do, especially for our kids that may be, you know, grown up, they may be in their twenties, their thirties, they're having, you know, they've had a couple kids and they don't have as much income. One thing to think through too is, on these, like you said, I loved your point is you don't have to have a lot of wealth to do it. That $6,000 that we talked about on a Roth IRA, if you divide that by 12 months, that's $500. That's so just kind of, yeah, yeah, set it up. You don't have to do it all in January. You don't have to do it all in December. But if you think of it that way, it's $500. Yeah. But I had just helped a client, a, a gentleman, he was trying to figure out what could he do for his kids. Sure. And he actually approached them with my kind of help and guidance and said, hey, I know that you have a traditional IRA out there. I want to help you with the tax bill. And so let's go ahead and convert it because there's a silver lining that is here and presented. And so for their Christmas gift, he is paying what's going to be their tax bill on the Roth conversion. And I thought as a gift. Yeah. Somebody out there is going to blame us here in about 38 (laughs) days. And they're going to be like, my kid hated that idea. We're going to be like, we didn't say it was the funnest idea. We just said it may be the smartest idea. Well, and then in 30 years, they're going to come back and say, oh my God, we love you, mom and dad. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. Uh, That's what we're here for. Well, Stacey, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. 
All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 